So let's pray and then we'll, we'll dig into the Scriptures. Father, we would, we would thank You for the grace that's in Christ Jesus. God, thank You that He alone is our, our hope and our redemption, that we who were blind and had no heart to serve You, God, by the Gospel of Your Son, God, You opened up our eyes to see the glorious Gospel of Jesus. And in this, O oh God, it's the, the time in which we, we now look and we trust in Him. God, through the gospel. Just would pray also, just in prayer meeting, we, we went over John 5, verse 39. You search the scriptures because you think in them you have eternal life, but it's they that speak of me. As Jesus said, it's not the scriptures that give us life, it is what the scriptures point to, and they point to you, Jesus, the author of life, the perfecter of our faith. God, and so we, we do look to you and would pray. God, that you would be the one to open your eye, open our eyes and reveal yourself to us today. So we need that as we look upon a, just a simple passage of Scripture. God, bind us to walk rightly before you. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, one of the greatest ways to uh, make an impact in the world is to respond rightly to hostility. It just makes an impact when, when people come strongly against you in opposition and they are hostile towards you and you respond in grace and favor, it shows that you're living on a different realm. It's not easy, but it can make an impact. And this is illustrated in the life of the Staines family. Maybe you've heard of these people. Uh, That's Graham Staines, his wife Gladys, uh, his sons Philip, age 10, Timothy, age 6, and... um, they served for a long time in India. Uh, Graham Stain spent 34 years in, in India serving the people in the name of Jesus. He directed the leprosy mission in Baripada, Orissa. And on January, in January of 1999, Graham and his two sons, Philip and Timothy, were mobbed by radical Hindus, trapped inside their vehicle, and burned alive. Um, their charred remains were found and they were all huddling around each other, holding one another. Uh, Gladys and Esther were left behind. <coughs> and their response to this death was, uh, was one of grace. Facing hostility against them, they responded uh, to the glory of Christ. She, she said a few days after the martyrdom of of her husband and son. She says, I have only one message for the people of India. I am not bitter, neither am I angry, but I have one great desire that each citizen of this country should establish a personal relationship with Jesus Christ who gave his life for their sins. Let us burn hatred and spread the flame of Christ's love. Now, one of the convicted killers who was convicted guilty but never received the death sentence. I think he still would be alive today. He was treated as a hero by the hardline Hindus and protected by some villagers. Another one of the accused killers, as they were in a mob, stated that the killers were provoked by the corruption of tribal culture, by the missionaries who claimed um, villagers, who, who, who fed villagers beef and who gave women brassiers and sanitary towels like bringing this new culture in. 
that was their high crime, to be, to be mobbed and killed. Uh, in her affidavit before the commission on the death of her husbands, Gladys Stain stated this. So this is after some time of thinking. She said, The Lord God is always with me to guide me and help me to try to accomplish the work of Graham. But I sometimes wonder why Graham was killed and also what made his assassins behave in such a brutal manner the night of 22nd, 23rd of January, 1999. It is far from my mind to punish the persons who were responsible for the death of my husband, Graham, and my two children, but it is my desire and hope that they would repent and be reformed. And uh, everyone thought that after this, they'd move back to Australia, where they come from. Um, And she said, no, God has called us to India, and we would not leave. She said later, my husband and our children have sacrificed their lives for this nation. India is my home. I hope to be here and to continue to serve the needy. And then Esther, when asked about her dad, she was 13 years old, and she said, I praise the Lord that he found my father worthy to die. What a great testimony any 13-year-old would have to count it a glory and a joy that, that her father was worthy to be a martyr, to die for him. And uh, Gladys Staines responded rightly to hostility and made an impact on the world, made an impact in India. She continued to live in India another five years until she returned to Australia in 2004. In 2005, she was awarded the fourth highest civilian honor in India. It's called Padme Shri in recognition recognition of her work with leprosy patients in Odisha. In 2016, just a couple years ago, she received the Mother Teresa Memorial International Award for Social Justice. Just, here's a no-name missionary, name-made broad, responded rightly to hostility. My message this morning is entitled, Responding Rightly to Hostility. It comes from Romans chapter 12 and verse 17. If you haven't done so already, now is a great time to open your Bibles to Romans 12, verse 17. I had had every plan and intention to preach 17 and 18, but as I... I looked at it, and um, I just really want to spend a, a whole message on verse 18. Next time we're in Romans 12, if possibly so far as it depends upon you, be at peace with all men. Just peace is a huge topic for church in light of hostility. I thought we'd just stay right here in, in verse 17. So if you have a pew Bible, it's page 948. We're just going to look at one verse right here. Repay no one evil for evil. But give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. Again, it's a short verse. Let's say it together. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. And I trust you can see there, uh, verse 17, how Paul tells the Romans and us by application not to retaliate. But to respond rightly to the hostility, right? When the evil comes, there's the hostility. Respond rightly not to retaliate. Now, this message isn't unique here to verse 17. It's the same message we looked at a few weeks ago in verse 14. Look at verse 14. It says, bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. When people say evil things against you, when people do evil things against you, we are called to respond with grace. We're called to bless and not curse. And that is almost the exact same thing as verse 17. Repay no one evil for evil. Right? When the evil comes, we ought to bless. Right? When, when the evil comes, we ought not to retaliate. Uh, the same thing is, is in verse 19. 
Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For as written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Don't avenge yourselves. Right? In other words, right, when someone wrongs you, you ought not to retaliate with vengeance against them, taking justice into your own hands. Which, by the way, gives a little hint and a precursor when we get to chapter 13. That's where justice is avenged. Even it says the government is, verse, chapter 13, verse 4, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Uh, um, it was every right for Gladys stains to say that, that I don't hold it against them. I wish that they would come to repentance and come to faith in Christ. She's not personally avenging herself. She's letting the government seek to do that. And that's our stance. That's how we should stand when people wrong us. We, allow, we ought to allow God to be God. God says, vengeance is mine. And when you seek vengeance towards others, you're saying, God, your job, it's my job. And God says, no, vengeance is mine. Vengeance is my job. I will repay. And so we let God do the venging because he will do a better job than us. Our job is to be one of kindness, like in verse 20. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. And if he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Uh, on a human level, feeding our enemy and caring for him, I believe will, be, will do far more than getting back at him. It will heap burning coals upon him. Just probably burning coals of shame and, and sorrow. Maybe that will lead to repentance. That's how God works. Romans 2.4, it's the kindness of God that leads you to repentance. And verse 20 speaks about just our kindness towards our enemy. These burning coals that perhaps will bring someone to repentance. I was talking to someone this week about my, my message today. And uh, he said, oh, just today I heard a sermon. Um, and this pastor was sharing this illustration about his daughter who'd come home from school in tears because she'd been bullied by her, her friends. And she was thinking about what to do and how to respond and how to get back at them. And the counsel of this pastor to his daughter was basically to write a note of kindness to her friends. Her friends, if you will. He told her to tell these girls how much she appreciated them and, and their friendship with her. And she said, no way, Dad, I can't do that. And that would pretty much ended the conversation. Well, the next day, this pastor received a call from his daughter. She was at school and he said, uh, what's up? He said, well, I'm, I'm in the principal's office along with those who are bullying me and they're sobbing with tears and saying they're sorry. He said, why, why are they crying? What did they do? He said, uh, they said they were telling her how sorry they were at being mean to her. And said, why, why are they doing that? And she simply said, I wrote the letter. It's bringing people in kindness, not avenging yourself, but being kind. That's the path to repentance oftentimes. It's the sort of thing that God calls us to do, return evil with kindness. That's what our job is as Christians, is to kill others with kindness. Now, verse 21 is another one of these verses that says almost exactly the same thing. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. That is, what, when evil comes upon us, we should not repay it in kind we should respond with kindness. And the question really comes up. Why is Paul so repetitive here? Four times. I mean, whatever, eight verses. He's just saying exactly the same thing. And you could argue verse 20 is almost saying the same thing as well, right? When evil comes against you, when hostility comes against you, how should you respond? Well, you should respond by blessing and, and not repaying, leaving God to be the one who avenges and overcoming evil with, with good. 
So why would Paul repeat this so many times? And the simple answer is that is because the Romans needed it so many times. Um, as with all those in the early church, they were facing hostility from all those around them. Their context was a little bit different than ours. They're bringing in this new religion, this new sect, even as it was called. <clears throat> they didn't understand. Maybe people were fearful of what it all meant. There were lots of Jews who believed in the Old Testament. They believed Jesus wasn't the Messiah, so he couldn't be the one. And so they're persecuting them. And Paul knew that the way to conquer is through love and grace. As the hymn says, with deeds of love and mercy, the heavenly kingdom comes. It's not with swords loud clashing right? or, or rolling drums. It is with deeds of love and mercy that the heavenly kingdom comes. And those outside the faith trying to stop this movement. And, and Paul felt this particular need for those in Rome to know how to respond to the hostility of those around them. Now, this is so contrary to human nature that he had to press home to the Christians, how to respond. Right? When people are hostile towards you, you don't retaliate in kind. You respond in kindness. I mean, and the natural response of all of us is to retaliate. Right? This is football season. And, and if you watch a football game, uh, you know, almost every time it, it happens, over and over I've seen this, right? One player from another team takes some kind of cheap shot. Say, uh, after the play, maybe a bit slow to get off another player. Or maybe shoving another player just after the whistle or, or bumping them from behind. And, and often the reaction, the offended player, right? He gets up from the scrimmage and pushes the one who was slow to get off of him or, or shoves him who shoved him or, or turns around to the one who bumped him and returns the favor. And when these things take place, who gets the penalty? It's always the guy who responds because the referees don't really see the initial provocation and then they see something stirring and their eyes get there and they always see the guy who responds and the guy who responds gets the penalty rather than the one who initiated it. It's the same exact thing that, that God is saying to us. Is, is, it, is it when they come against us, when there's hostility towards us, if we respond in kind, who gets the flag? We get the flag because we have responded wrongly. And, and I think on the football field, you see that so often. I'm sure the coaches tell their players, guys, don't respond to their provoking. Don't respond to their lip. Don't respond to what they're saying. You just play your game, put your head down and, and keep going. Don't retaliate. If you do, it'll cost us. It cost us. And it's every sport, whether it's basketball or baseball or whether it's uh, hockey, the re- retaliation is always there, right? And it's so ingrained in our nature. I think this is another reason why Paul felt the, the need just over and over and over again to say this when hostility comes. Let's respond rightly. And our tendency, and you can see it in your children, maybe you see it in yourself, when we're cursed, we tend to what? Curse back. And we're pushed, we tend to push back. And when we're struck, we tend to strike back. In our text this morning, though, Paul has a different message. He says, don't retaliate. As I've entitled it, respond rightly to hostility. It's a different message even than we're used to. The Romans needed it, we need it. It's deeply ingrained in our, in our, <clears throat> our own psyche. I just need a little drink here. It's deep in our psyche. And it's different than we think. Matthew 5, verse 38. Jesus said this. You've heard it said. An eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. That's what the Pharisees said. That's what most religions say. When someone does something to you, you stand up for your own honor and do something back to them. But Jesus changed all that. In the Sermon on the Mount, he said, But I say to you, do not resist him who is evil. 
But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. If anyone wants to sue you to take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Give to the one who begs from you and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. This is kingdom living. This is what it means to live as a believer in Jesus. And this is everything that Paul is advocating at the end of chapter 12 from verses 14 through 21. Last week, we looked at verse 16, which, um, which had four commands. Our text this week has two commands. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. Two commands. How many points do you think I'm going to have, kids? Two points. Good job, Austin. You get your first treasure, okay? You're the first one who gets a treasure afterwards. Exactly. That's how it works. Two commands, two points. First point is this. Don't repay with evil. I trust you can see it right there in verse 17. Repay no one evil for evil. And there's an idea here that someone has wronged you in some way. You're not to wrong them back. You're not to repay them evil for evil. And, and I think in many ways the biggest reason why not to is, is because that's how Jesus acted. The one who founded our religion acted and responded that way. Have you ever considered the life of Jesus, how, how he did that? When he was arrested, he did that. Can you picture the scene? Jesus is in the garden with his, with his disciples and he just finished praying. In fact, he saw the crowds coming and it said, behold, my betrayers at hand, they're coming. He saw these people coming out with clubs and swords. He says, I know my time is up. And the religious leaders came out there. They had their swords and the clubs looking to take Jesus by force. And one of the disciples, probably Peter, sought to fight. He stretched out his hands, drew his sword, struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his ear. Jesus stopped the attack. And rebuked this disciple. He said, Matthew twenty six fifty two, put your sword back into its place for all who take the sword will perish by the sword. See, the way of Jesus isn't by sword and retaliation. The way of Jesus is by trust in the Lord. And Jesus went on to say, do you think that I cannot appeal to my father and he will at once send me more than 12 legions of angels? That's whatever, 12,000 angels. Like this whole array and host. Jesus said, I could fight. If I wanted to fight, I could fight. And you know what? I could win. But Jesus said, that's not the way my kingdom is. My kingdom doesn't win that way. My kingdom comes through grace and responding and trusting the Lord. Jesus demonstrated that in his arrest. In his trial, he demonstrated the same thing. Matthew 26. Just want to read 59 to 68. So the chief priests and the whole council were seeking false testimony against Jesus that they might put him to death. But they found none, though many false witnesses came forward. Now, you know what it's like to be lied against and false witnesses come against you. What do you want to do? Everything in you wants to defend yourself. You say, no, that's not right. That's not right. That's not right. At last, two came forward. And said, this man said, I'm able to destroy the temple of God and rebuild it in three days. And the high priest stood up and said, have you no answer to make? What is it these men testify against you? Here they were testifying falsely, like taking his words and twisting them. Yes, he said those things. Destroy this temple in three days, I'll raise it up. But even as John explained, he wasn't talking about the physical temple. He's talking about the temple of my body. 
So he could have easily said, <clears throat> take it out of context. That's not what I meant. You could even imagine the scene when I was there. When I talked about this temple. I was talking about the temple of my body. He could have totally justified himself. He could have totally got out of that. He could have responded that way to the hostilities people. And yet, what did Jesus do? It says in Matthew 26, verse 63, that Jesus remained silent. Even the false accusations, he didn't feel need to respond. Now, that's, this is all because of his death. It doesn't mean we don't ever respond to false accusations. I'm not saying that at all. But in the, in the path of Christ, he didn't. And the high priest said to him, I adjure you by the living God. Tell us if you are the Christ, the Son of God. And Jesus said, I, you have said so. But I tell you, from now on, you'll see the Son of Man see at the right hand of power and coming on the clouds of heaven. So Jesus is retorting and he's retorting rightly and calmly. And at that, it was too much. The high priest tore his robes and said, he's uttered blasphemy. What further witness do we need? You have now heard his blasphemy. What is your judgment? And then they answered, he deserves death. They spit on his face and struck him. Some slapped him. Prophesy to us, you Christ. Who is that who struck you? And throughout the whole deal, he was quiet. Taking upon himself. And that's why we don't repay evil with evil. Because we follow our Savior. Yes, Jesus remained silent. And then when he was brought before Pilate being wrongly accused of his crimes by the chief priests and the elders, Pilate said to him, Do you not hear how many things they are testifying against you? But Jesus gave him no answer, not even to a single charge. So the governor was greatly amazed. And here's Jesus responding in a way that just defies imagination, defies Pilate. He could have got out of all these. Now, of course, he says the scripture needs to be fulfilled. That's why it happened that way. But he demonstrated how not to retaliate in his arrest and in his trial and upon the cross. While upon the cross, Jesus was being mocked and reviled. Matthew 27, 39 to 44 says this. And those who passed by derided him, wagging their heads and saying, You who would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself. If you are the son of God, come down from the cross. So also the chief priests or the scribes and elders mocked him, saying, Oh, he saved others. Let him save himself. He's the king of Israel. Let him come down now from the cross, and we will believe him. They wouldn't have believed him if he'd have come down. He could have come down. He says, I lay my life down willingly. He said, He trusts in God. Let him deliver him now. If he desires him, for he said, I am the Son of God. And the robbers were crucified with him, reviled in the same way. And yet Jesus uttered not a word. He was living out everything he taught in the Sermon on the Mount. And later then, Peter explained it like this in 1 Peter 2, 22 and 23. Jesus committed no sin, neither was there deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges rightly. And this is exactly what we're called to do. We're called when the rebukes come, when the reviling and the evil comes, we're called to entrust our souls to Christ, to the living creator. It says that in 1 Peter 4.19, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator in doing good. There it is. Don't repay evil with evil. Fundamentally, why do we do this? We do this because that's what, what Christ did. I mean, and another reason is because vengeance isn't ours. Vengeance is, is mine, is what God says in verse 19. See, our duty is not to repay with evil. The just judge will do that just fine. 
chapter 13, the government will do that just fine. Instead, we're to do what Jesus did. He entrusts himself to him who judges justly. And really, the greatest expression of not repaying evil for evil is what Jesus did on the cross. Because he was the sinless one who didn't deserve to die at all. And yet he not only died on the cross, but it says in 1 Peter 2.24, he bore our sins in his body on the tree. That we did evil against the Lord and he didn't retaliate in kind. Instead, it was his great expression of love towards us that he died for us, taking our sin, the very sin that would bring him to the cross on his shoulders. And that's why we don't have to retaliate. And that's why we don't have to repay evil for evil because Jesus dealt with that. He dealt with that on the cross, and we don't have to judge sins ourselves. We can simply extend mercy and grace to others because God has extended his mercy to us. And if you remember that, that's the whole reason why Paul is writing Romans 12. Romans 12, verse 1. Look there. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. This is the only way that verse 17 makes sense at all is that God has been merciful to us. He's dealt with our sin problem. He's dealt with sin. And therefore, we don't have to deal with it personally ourselves. God will make things right, and His judgment will be far better than our judgment will be. He's been merciful to us who rebelled against His authority and deserved His wrath. But we receive mercy, and so we don't have to repay the evil. It's all resolved. We simply need to respond in kindness. Well, let's look at how we respond. We don't repay evil for evil. But verse 17b says this, we need to act with honor. comes right there in the second half of it. It says, repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. Now this phrase, give thought to do what's honorable in the sight of all, is, is translated a bunch of different ways by, by good translations. The, uh, the New American Standard says, respect what is right in the sight of all men. The New King James says, have regard for good things in the sight of all men. The NIV says, be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. And, and it's, it, these, these verses, are, they all give the same thrust. And they all catch the meaning. It's all the same. It says, don't repay evil for evil, but, but take the high road. Show you're above it all. Do what's right. Show that you don't need a tit for tat, but, but show what's honorable and show what is right. You know, a good picture of this might be a person in authority, say a parent to a child or a a teacher to a student or say a a policeman to a a citizen. There's a way in which the one who's in authority has the power, has the ability and must respond rightly. I mean, mean, there are ways that that the one in authority should respond in which the ways that, that the other one doesn't. Think about a child who's throwing a tantrum. Right. The honorable way for a, a parent to deal with that is not to have a tantrum back. That's the wrong way, right? What's the honorable way? What's the right way? It's for a parent to be controlled. To speak softly and carry a big, big stick, right? But, but speak softly and, and speak without emotion and speak gently. And so likewise, the a citizen, right, might be, might be yelling at a policeman or something wrong, trying to be arrested. Now, the policeman needs to show some force, but there's a way in which citizens can, can blast a police officer where a police officer can never do that in return. I think that's the idea here, is that, is that we as Christians have this different perspective. We can live above the fray. 
And, and that we can act with honor and that we ought to ought act with honor. Even when these others are, are chiding and, and just chaos, we can live above that and act responsibly. Now, this, this translation even here, when it, when it says that we should give thought to, um, repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what's honorable in the sight of, of all. As one commentator says, that the conduct of believers ought not to be regulated by habit, but rather that each situation that holds prospect for a witness to the world to be weighed so the action taken will not bring unfavorable reflection on the gospel. It's not just a response. This is thought beforehand. This is really, really planned. Think about how am I going to respond and so as to respond that all know that you're responding in a right way, in an honorable way, in the sight of all. And I think this one says honorable in the sight of all. It, it, it means that we are before everybody. I don't think it's just before Christians. I think honoring and, and walking in such a way that we, we don't betray the gospel. And the gospel is that God's been merciful to us and we extend that mercy to others. That's what Romans 12 is all about. It's all responding to the gospel that we would respond in a distinctively Christian way. But there's also something here before when, when it says that, that we ought to give thought to do what's right. You know, I've often thought about those people who, who face trials in life. The best time to prepare for trials and to walk through trials well is to have prepared beforehand how you're going to respond. To prepare beforehand, this, I, I know that God is good. I know that He is great. And I know that things that are coming upon me are by His hand. And He could take them up anytime He wanted if it's too hard for me. But I know and I trust, I've seen so many times he's good. And then when you're in the midst of the trial, these things are deep in your mind. You've got verses to fall back upon. You can walk rightly in those things. And so likewise, we as Christians really need to think beforehand about how it is we're going to, going to walk. Because it's not our natural response. Our natural response is going to be to kick back and to push back. And Paul is saying here that we need to think beforehand how it is that we're going to act. And so what are some applications that we can find? How how do we find the honorable thing to do? What's the right thing to do? How is it we act in honor? And I was just thinking about this. How about pulling the application right here from Romans 12? I mean, Romans 12 has been this whole application about how it is to live, how it is an honorable right life looks. And so by way of review in some regards, by way of showing how it is that we ought to respond, how it is to respond honorably, I thought we'd just walk through Romans 12 again. We've already looked at verse 1. If we look at verse 2, how do we respond rightly to hostility? Here it is, by having a right mindset. It's the mindset that says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. The only way that we're, we'll be able not to repay evil with evil is to have the right things on our mind. I mean, not conforming our minds to this world. We want to conform our minds to this world? We're going to fight. Because they fight, we fight. Right? They do this, we do that, right back at them. And it's just going to be back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. You're going to escalate it. Rather, we need to respond rightly by having a right mindset, having our minds transformed and renewed by the Word of God. Discerning then... What is the right thing to do? Discerning what is good and acceptable and perfect. And you might put in there what is right and what is honorable. Just through God's word saturating our mind. Having a right mindset. But secondly, even having a a humble mindset. For by the grace given to me, verse 3, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think. 
but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. See, the proud person is going to do what? It's going to defend himself. Right? Something's been against my honor, so I need to get back. I need to restore that. I need to show who's on top in the pecking order. The proud person will defend himself because it's all about him. When he's dishonored, he'll retaliate. It's only the humble person who feels no need to repay. Because the humble person doesn't look to defend himself. The humble person will seek to lift up others. No need to repay. Thirdly, we need to use our gifts to edify. So when, when things come against us, we need to see how it is that we can lift up and edify. Verse 4. And this is particularly in light of the church, but there are times when people in the church come with evil towards you, and you need to respond in these ways. Use your gifts. For as in one body we all have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. Let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, and the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. The, the, the picture is that God has gifted each of us differently. And some are more gifted in some areas than others. And we're supposed to use these gifts to lift up and encourage and help the body. And so when others wrong you, perhaps in the church, but you can apply this even to those outside the church. If your gifts are speaking gifts, then speak smoothly and speak softly so as to speak grace into their lives. If you're serving gifts, right, when the wrong comes against you, then, then serve them back in some way. Help them out or give to them or, or make something or... Whatever, if those are serving gifts, whatever your gifts are, right? When, when, come, when hostility comes, use the way God has gifted you to respond rightly to one another and thereby build up the unity, right? We are many. We are one body in Christ. It brings up unity, which, by the way, this is all where it's headed. Verse 16 speaks about how we need to live in humble harmony with one another. And verse 18 is speaking about living peaceably with all that we'll look at next time looking peaceably at all. It's all about this unity, this peace. And so in the hostility, you're seeking to establish peace with the way you respond. Uh, A fourth way is to show love towards others. That's verses 9 and 10. It's the crux of what that's talking about. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Now, you take these verses now in the context of hostility, and it shows that love still needs to be there. There's no credit. Anyone can love those who love them back. But genuine love will love those even who have shown them evil. And if you think about it, that's exactly what God did with us. We were evil. We were hostile towards God. We were His enemies. Romans 5, verse 8. God demonstrates His own love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. It's while we were sinning against Him. In verse 10, it says, while we were His enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of His Son. In other words, when Jesus died upon the cross, He was dying for enemies who were hostile towards Him. When He poured out His greatest expression of love, it was the greatest expression because it was at that very moment that we were against Him. And so likewise... A great way in which we rejoice, when we repay no one evil for evil, we give thought to do what's honorable in the sight of all. When the hostility comes, we show love and grace. Uh, another way is to persevere in love. Verses 11 and 12. 
Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. I mean, just of anything that this is applying to, it just says, be, be, just continue on, press on, persevere. Now it's talking about our faith in the Lord and, and trusting in the Lord, but persevering in that, persevering in trust of the Lord that, it, that uh, brings itself out in love towards others. It's an encouragement to press on, to press on in our lives, to press on into the lives of others. Because see, when people wrong you, it's easy to back away. It's easy to give up on people who do you evil. But the message here is persevere in that. Keep pressing on. Another way, right? How about just giving? Give to those who do you harm. Verse 13. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. The idea of verse 13 is giving. Giving financially. Giving of yourself, right? Even loving your enemies. What hospitality is about. Bringing them into your sphere. Right? Giving of the thing that you have. And it's an honorable thing to do that with those who've wronged you. In fact, giving is a way to really direct your heart. Jesus said, where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. So where it is you put time and investment and gifts and money and finances, there is where your heart will be. If you want to have a heart for something, just give towards that thing. If you want to have a heart towards missions, you start giving to missionaries and you'll find your heart will follow where your treasure goes. You want to have a heart for somebody, you give them gifts, you give them, you contribute to their needs, you help them, and that will help your heart then to be soft towards them. Well, another way is bless them. Verse 14, I'm just taking Romans 14 and just applying this. Bless those who persecute you, bless and do not curse. It's an honorable thing not to exchange insult for insult. When people speak poorly of you, the call here is to speak well of them. And realize this is not a sign of, of weakness. It's a sign of grace. It's actually a sign of strength to hold yourself in, to, to stop yourself. I'm not going to lash out. I'm going to be gracious. I'm going to bless as well. Oh, we looked at, and these are, these are getting more recent now. Feel with them. Verse 15, rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. If people are doing you evil, it's most often, think about this, because they have experienced hurt themselves. If there's one thing I've learned from my 20 years of pastoring, it's this, is that hurt people hurt people. And and if people are there doing you evil, it's probably because there's some pain in their life that they're seeking to inflict upon you. So if someone is, is hostile towards you, just encourage you to, to think about why are they being hostile? What is it in their life which is causing them such pain that they're wanting to be hostile towards me? Where's their hurt? And then you hurt with them. You feel with them. That is rejoicing with those who rejoice and weeping with those who weep. And maybe if you feel it yourself, you'll be drawn to compassion to respond rightly to those people. Finally, just seek unity. Verse 16, live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. And we, we looked at this last week. It's honorable to seek unity and harmony with other people. It's honorable to do this, especially in the context when wrong has been done. When, when hostility has come against you. To seek this harmony. But as I mentioned last week, it's not just harmony. It is humble harmony because humility is always needed for harmony well just there's some application of how it is that we can be honorable when others are 
hostile. And yet, just even like bless those who curse you and bless and do not curse, there, there are some things here that are, that are interesting as well, is that Jesus, on the one hand, when he was arrested in his trial and his crucifixion, he didn't repay evil for evil. And yet Jesus even said that I did not come to bring peace, but a sword, though he himself was not living with a sword. There were times where he, he responded to hostility with curses and woes against the Pharisees. Yet, by and large, he was a man of peace who sought peace. So there's, you know, this isn't, uh, say, like absolute, but this is the general way in which we should respond because God's been merciful to us. And I just simply say, may, may the Lord help us to apply these things. Regardless, it causes us to think ahead, like to think beforehand, what's, what's honorable? Just with our right mindset and with a humble mind, willing to use our gifts, just showing love and persecuting into that and just giving to people and and blessing them and really entering into their life feeling with them seeking ultimate unity with them and we do that our our church should be a a wonderful place and it's the challenges of all of us and just even right now i want you to think about maybe who are some people that have demonstrated hostility towards you maybe people now are demonstrating hostility towards you how can you respond rightly to that? Maybe you can just even pick one of those nine applications just in your own heart and mind and just say, which, which one of these would really, would really help in this circumstance? Because of anything that verse 17 is talking about, it's just giving thought to this. Giving thought how to respond. Because you need some thought beforehand, lest you just respond with some type of impulse. So there might be people who, who are hostile towards you. You see, that's a great application, right? Just one or two. or uh, I'll put this on uh, questions for the small groups. Just kind of say, you know, which of these would be very helpful for you in dealing with those who are against you or hostile to you? So let me pray and just seek the Lord's strength. Father, I pray that you would help us to live out Romans 12. God, we can't do it by our own strength. As Jesus said, apart from me, apart from Jesus... The living Christ in us, you can do nothing. Oh God, so I pray that you would be with us, God, to strengthen us so that we would be able to do something. That we would be able, by your grace, not to repay evil with evil, but we would be able to to know beforehand and to think through how it is that we can act in an honorable way. So God, show your grace and your kindness to help us in these things. And I pray... God, that that might be a sincere reflection, demonstration of your mercy to us. God, for those maybe who are here today who don't know your mercy, don't know Christ, don't know his sacrifice, Lord, we pray that today might be a day of salvation, that they would realize that mercy. And for those perhaps who have constant troubles and constant trials and constant friction with so many people, I pray they'd really see that the fundamental problem of that is they don't know mercy that they'd never experienced the mercy of God in Christ Jesus. They would seek to know that, God, that you would open hearts and open minds. God, that they would know that that's the path to this behavior, is having experienced mercy, because those who have experienced mercy share mercy. And forgiven people forgive people. God, it is a glory, God, for people to overlook sin. And to look past them and to seek them in a, a way of peace. So God, we pray you'd, you'd bless and help. We pray even this week as we think about leading up to Thanksgiving for our Thanksgiving service next week. God, may we have a, 
a great profitable time of us sharing, encouraging one another, God, in whatever way we can. God, we need you. May you come in your grace. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.